If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. Brian McClanahan Show, episode 704. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audio book of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. You already heard about that, but you can purchase one or 20 of my classes there. Keeps this podcast free of charge, plus you get great content. You can also click on that little super thanks button under the video if you're watching on YouTube. It's a great way to get the podcast. You can watch it, but you can also donate there. Click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way that way. Click on the shop tab. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review. Comment on it on YouTube. Let people know you're listening to it. Let people know you're watching it. Share it around on social media. That's how we grow the show and how we get organic listens, which are very important. I don't want bots. I want real people listening to the show and watching the show on YouTube. So that's how we do it. And I do appreciate everything you do for the show. If you want to hear something, send me those show requests. I do read them. may not respond, but I do read them. So let's talk about the topic of the day. And we're back to our good friend V.D. Hansen, right? So uh, I mentioned that earlier this week. We're going to cover Victor Davis Hansen on an episode. We're wrapping up the week with it. This is a piece that appeared in American Greatness. And if you want all the Straussianism you can get, just go to American Greatness. Now, look, let me make something clear. I don't necessarily disagree with everything that they put at American Greatness at all. I mean, they, they put some good articles up there. There are some interesting things. Even, in fact, in this piece I'm going to cover... I don't disagree with Victor Davis Hanson on a lot of what he says. The problem is that these people are basing all of their arguments on a leftist interpretation of America. And if that's where you're basing your arguments on, if that's where, that's where it's coming from, right? If that's, the, if that's your historical background, you know what's going to happen? The left is going to win. Because you can't determine when equality, for example, stops. In this particular piece, Victor Davis Hanson uses Martin Luther King Jr. to justify his positions. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. would never have been confused with a conservative, right? I mean, nobody would ever call King a conservative at any time in his political life or his life at all. I mean, but re- recently we've seemed to think that King is somehow a conservative. He would have agreed with all of the policies that the left is doing now. King flirted with communism. King would have been supportive of affirmative action. He would have supported all this stuff, right? There's no doubt about it. King was not a conservative. So to sit there and cite Martin Luther King and say, well, if we just went to what King said, we are. We are. I think the lefties are correct about this when they say we're actually doing what King would have wanted, not the conservatives. This is the issue. They dredge up these old leftist heroes and supposedly say, well, this is where these people would have wanted it to stop. How do we know that? We don't. I think King would have been certainly in line with what's going on today in modern American society. He wouldn't have been against any of it. And so this is foolishness. Also, he makes some statements, of course, about the war and segregation and racism that are based on 
a radical Republican understanding of the United States in the middle of the 19th century. You know what? That was a distortion of American history, and he ignores some pretty important parts of American history. If you're, I mean, look, if you're going to make some of these statements, you better be accurate on what you're saying, because again, the left is not incorrect about the history of the United States. And I mentioned this with the with the Calhoun when I talked about Calhoun for the 21st century and Bob Elder pointing out that you know when Calhoun said that America was you know, for the white man that in the 19th century this is generally everyone thought of it it wasn't just the South this was the United States David Wilmot who wrote the Wilmot Proviso David Wilmot of Pennsylvania stands up when he advocates for the Wilmot Proviso and he says look I don't care about the slaves I don't care about any of that what I want is the Western territory for free white people. I don't want any blacks out there. And so you've got a number of books that have been written about this. And now, this is out of the North, right? This is Northern racism. You had a lot of it. So when the 1619 Project people and others run around saying, well, I mean, the North was racist too, they were correct. Hansen ignores the racism outside of the South because he wants to have a convenient boogeyman. This is the objective. This is Harry Jaffa. This is all these idiots who run around saying, well, uh, you know what? If it wasn't for the South, America would have been the good... Uh, the good butterflies, flowers, and rainbows republic of uh, non-racist people. It's just not true. I mean, none of that is true. So if you're going to say, if you're, if you're going to peg some things, well, you say, all right, look, yeah, we had racism before, but we've moved beyond that now. We've, we've gotten to a point where we don't have segregated communities and we don't have uh, segregated society. And it wasn't just the South. It was also the North that was involved in this, you know, Boston, I guess Hansen's forgetting that Boston had uh, race riots in the 1970s because they integrated they integrated the schools in Boston, which were segregated, right? I guess he forgets about that. But it's only the South that we got to worry about with this. It's only the South. You got to have the boogeyman. This is what the this is what the left does. This is what I'm saying. These people are two sides of the same coin. The boogeyman is John C. Calhoun in the South. If we could just you know, exercise that. From, from American society, everything would be okay. When I would argue as a conservative, we should be listening to Calhoun when it comes to government. We should listen to what Calhoun had to say about government. The concurrent majority is a good thing, particularly for conservatives in modern society, because it would allow us in our own communities to block the madness of the central government, which is really the problem. You see, Hansen seems to forget that the right probably isn't going to control the central authority. And when Republicans are in power, they go along with the left. Real conservatives in America want to block a lot of the nonsense. I mean, you see these mainstream conservatives all the time advocating things that are uh, against what you would say the, you know, a, a run-of-your-mill, uh, blue-collar, everyday American conservative would uh, would want, right? I mean, they don't want the stuff that's going on in the culture war, but conservatives in Congress seem to be hell-bent on doing these things. Now, they vote against it when they're not in power, but when they're in power, and we've seen it, they go right along with it. There's no, there's no agenda to try to do anything that would undermine what the left really wants to do, the leftward lurch of America. They don't want to do it because they're on board with it all. That's the sad truth. So let's get into this piece. The title is How Old Bad Ideas Became or Become, I'm sorry, Wonderful. How Old Bad Ideas Become Wonderful. 
He says, there is no end of history. Instead, civilization is a constant fight to embrace what has worked for the common good throughout through the ages and to reject what in the past has failed abysmally. Now, this is what ancient historians said about history, right? It's what Livy said. History is the best medicine for a sick mind. For in history, you can see the, you know, you can find for yourself uh, good things to emulate and bad things to avoid. This is this is Livy who said this a couple of thousand years ago. So Hansen's not saying anything there that's profound. Bad and bankrupt ideas, protocols, and ideologies like McCarthyism, communism, various cults, or fascism resurface not because of their intrinsic or lasting value or record of success, but because civilizations become less vigilant and allow human vanities, ignorance, arrogance, and evil to reassert themselves. Now, I would say that Hansen operates in the world of ideologies. He operates in the world of an ideology, and that is the proposition nation. It's an ideology. He just doesn't admit it, and he doesn't see it, but he, certainly he does that. So the first part, he says, you know, Joe McCarthy is back. He talks about uh, McCarthyism making a comeback because of Joe Biden's speech. Now, some of this, again, I agree with. There's some, there's some real problems with Biden's speech and singling out a group of people and I've talked about this in you know, the Brandon speech, a group of people as being enemies of the state simply because of political beliefs, because of the way they vote. That is a dangerous thing. So he says, Our tailgunner Joe, in a single week, smeared roughly half the country as un-American semi-fascists. Then in one of the creepiest speeches and background sets in American political history, Joe Biden rallied that Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans are a threat to the very soul of this country. Franklin Roosevelt declared war on Japan in careful, sober, and exacting presidential tones. Joe Biden all but declared war against half his own people like a raving lunatic. Now, first of all, look at who, <laughs> look at who Hansen uses as an example here of a great president. Franklin Roosevelt, one of the worst in American history. Why, don't, why not use James Madison? and asking for war against Great Britain. That would be a, an, an interesting war message. No, no. We're going to use Franklin Roosevelt. You see, these people love the state. The Straussians, the West Coast Straussians, the neoconservatives, they love the state. They love this strong central authority. They love it all. They just don't really want you to know that. All that was missing from the rant was Biden waving to the crowd a Reported list of names of prominent MAGA threats through our collective in Seoul and screaming, I have here in my hand a list of 205 members of the MAGA party. Now, what's interesting about this, of course, is McCarthy was a Republican. And the people that were most critical of McCarthy were not conservatives, but leftists. And, of course, McCarthy, uh, McCarthyism, the left loves to bash McCarthyism because they point out that it was an outgrowth of the rabid anti-communism which came out of conservatism in America. So here is Victor Davis Hanson pegging Joe Biden as someone who would believe in McCarthyism. Now, there's been a lot of uh, work done in the last, say, 30 years to vindicate Joe McCarthy as being on to something, that there were communists in the government. We needed to get rid of these people. They were there. And of course, we have to remember that Ronald Reagan, who I'm sure Joe Biden, I'm sorry, who I'm sure uh, uh, V.D. Hansen would love, uh, was actually 
part of the process of blacklisting people in Hollywood based on McCarthyism, essentially, is what he was doing, right? The House on American Activities Committee, which was you know, Richard Nixon and others involved in it. I mean, this is important to note that what Hansen is doing here is actually blasting things that for a long time were considered conservative. And yet he's saying that he's McCarthyism is leftist. Now, I think you could make a case for that. You you could make a case that you know kind of this rooting out stuff, uh, you know this this thought police stuff is very much in line with the left. But I don't think you could ever say Joe McCarthy considered himself a leftist, a progressive certainly, and this is the issue. Um, where I think that the Straussians are just confused about a lot of things. Yet Biden never quite told us what was subversive about the MAGA scare or wanting to make America great again. It was merely a sort of conservative version of George McGovern's call to come home America. Both slogans like Obama's hope and change banality suggest that things were either better before the present or will be better afterwards. Wait a second here. Is it make America great again, saying that America was better, and then it's, uh, I don't know, it's like better now or later? I mean, he's saying that Obama would say this, and, and uh, George McGovern, is a leftist, but isn't make America great again kind of the same thing? I, I don't know. I mean, is he saying that that, I'm, I'm confused about this here, that he's saying, is that saying that it was better and we're going to make it better now, or... I, I don't I don't get this. Is he blasting just McGovern and Obama and Joe Biden, or is he blasting Donald Trump? I can't figure this out. Unable to acknowledge this, a more than usual angry, snarling, and nearly incoherent Biden screamed his McCarthy-esque attack amid an eerie red and black-lit background punctuated by two U.S. Marines on guard in the shadows of the red glow. The resulting lurid visual effect was a cross between an outtake from Triumph of the Will and a bad version of Phantom of the Opera. Biden barked out all sorts of fantasy enemies of the state as he lumped 75 million people together as a collective existential threat to the soul of America. Left unsaid but understood is what Biden said and the good other half are supposed to do with, the, with such an existential danger posed by millions of their fellow Americans. Are they to ferret out MAGA supporters in the matter, in the matter uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin promised to cleanse the Pentagon of mythical white supremacists? Will Biden unleash his new battalions of IRS auditors? Will they call back Mark Zuckerberg to infuse another $419 million of dark money into the ballot counting to absorb the work of state uh, registrars in the upcoming midterms? Will Biden now recall FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith to alter more government documents or hire another informant such as Clinton Lackey, Christopher Steele, or rope up 50 more intelligence experts to swear that Hillary's next laptop is proof of Russian Trump collusion. Now again, all of this, you know, he's dealing in hyperboles here. Is he going to do this? Is he going to do this? And pointing out all, of course, the corruption in the Biden administration. We all know it's there, but he's missing the bigger picture. This is the problem. He can't see the forest for the trees. The real problem is centralized power, and the Republicans have been just as responsible for this as anybody else. And McCarthy again was a conservative, quote unquote. He was. It's what he called himself. Now, we can talk about whether Joe McCarthy was good or bad for America. We can talk about whether he was right or wrong, whether really communists in American government, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not what Hansen's doing. He's ignoring, you know, he's saying make America great again is a great slogan, but then these other slogans coming from the, uh, 
central central state are not great slogans. I mean, we're going to have slogans, right? We're all just dealing in the same monstrosity. This is the issue. How do you get rid of that? Well, you decentralize. But that's not something that, that V.D. Hansen is interested in. He tells you a little later in the piece. What exactly is fitting preemptive punishment for Biden's soul-threatening un-American enemies, solitary confinement in a D.C. jail for a year without charge, leg irons, SWAT teams waiting, awaiting them in their driveways, early morning raids of their houses while they are still in their underwear, phone grabs while dining out with their wives at restaurants or in airports, Will Biden and the left become be content simply to unleash another 120 days of the good sort of ar riots, arson, and protest while reissuing the 2020 promises of now Vice President Kamala Harris that they are not going to stop before Election Day in November and they're not going to stop after Election Day? Again, all this is stuff that you think about power. He's talking about power here. Where does that power come from? Well, the central state. It comes from the United States. It comes from unlimited control of... of, of of the central government over everything in American life. And how do you stop that? Well, you got to have decentralization. You got to have a Calhounian understanding of American federalism. But he doesn't like that. He tells you later on in the piece. To preserve the soul of America, will Biden be content with just following our now progressive norms? Screaming out threats to named Supreme Court justices with mobs at the court doors led by U.S. senators or mobs massing at the justices' homes. This is progressive norms. Well, I think all of this that he's mentioned, centralized power is a progressive norm. That's what Republicans wanted. Joe McCarthy is centralized power, right? But he was a conservative. Or will the White House continue to ignore assassins who show up in the justices' neighborhoods? Or will it raid another home of an ex-president? Or use the FBI to retrieve family diaries, lie about embarrassing lost laptops, leverage private school social media companies to censor embarrassing stories, or stalk and surveil parents at school board meetings? Again, all the result of federal power. Now, I do agree that what Biden is doing here, these are boogeymen, right? He, he has, you have the two, two minutes of hate, the MAGA people, and they're boogeymen. And so to the progressives, those are the boogeymen you have to get. It's an emotive reaction, right? I talked about this earlier in the week. This is all emotion. What what Hansen is doing here, these are emotion. This is emotional red meat. Look at all the, oh yeah, this is horrible stuff. Right? This, this is what he's doing. But on the other hand, he's missing the real problem. This is all progressive, but the central state that Victor Davis, Hansen, Victor Davis Hansen loves so much is part of the problem. It is the problem. And you've got, he's got his, the left has their boogeyman, but so does Victor Davis Hansen too. It's the South. That's the boogeyman. To fight such fantastic unicorns, will Biden be recreating his sidetracked government ministry of truth? To save democracy, will the left once more be promising to pack the Supreme Court, junk the Electoral College and filibuster, and supersede state balloting laws? Will he bring out re uh, retirement intelligence pundits James Clapper and John Brennan, mo known mostly for lying under oath to Congress? Hansen has his own boogeyman, right? So you got to have your boogeyman. In this case, of course, the left is saying that all these things are the boogeyman. The, the MAGA people are the boogeyman. we got to do something with them. They're the greatest threat to America. 
To Hansen, the greatest threat to America is long-dead Southerners. And a view of American history that's out of touch, he thinks, with real America, the proposition nation. And he does, it, he does so in the next section, the good old racism. If we are back to McCarthy's 1950s, how about a similar return to Jim Crow's separ separatism, racial exceptionalism, and chauvinism? American history from 1776 to 1860 was the story of postponing but not preventing a civil war over race-based slavery. Now, look, who said this kind of stuff? The irrepressible conflict. America, the house divided itself against itself cannot stand. Who said this kind of stuff? Or the Republicans. But clearly that wasn't true. There was no war. There was no war. You're saying the war was inevitable. A civil war of a race-based slavery. First of all, we know that it wasn't over race-based slavery. We know it was about power, right? And slavery was the occasion rather than the cause. We know it was about power. That was the, that was the problem from the beginning. They postponed a battle over power. Who was going to control the central authority? This is something that started happening as early as 1794 when you had northern northern senators corner John Taylor of Caroline in, the, in a senatorial cloakroom and say, hey, John, this isn't working. Let's get out. Because they didn't think they could control the general government. It's about power. You see, that's the whole problem. His, his whole uh, interpretation of American history is just completely distorted. What followed was a century-long attempt to ensure that race did not thwart the newly won constitutional protections of enfranchised black citizens. A century-long effort, 1860 to 1960. Then the next half-century saw an effort to provide affirmative action by offering advantages and hiring and admissions for groups felt to have historically suffered racial discrimination. In the recent decade, however, we have entered new territory of re uh, or regress to old familiar landscapes in which racial preferences and discrimination are considered repertory and thus good. Martin Luther King's vision of an integrated society in which race became incidental, not essential to the individual, has now been nullified. It is all but rendered inert. Any scholar in a sociology department of a major university who professed allegiance to King's notion of a fully integrated and racially blind assimilated society would likely be summarily, summarily fired or ostracized. But I don't think King necessarily would have, I mean, if you read King carefully, he has the one speech that sounds very reconciliationist. But outside of that, if you read King very carefully, he's not, he's not advocating stopping with, with reconciliation. He wants to push. And he wants, a, he wants what we have in modern society. I don't think King would have stopped here. This is, this is foolish, but this is what Hansen is doing. Uh, anytime you invoke King, as a, well, if conservatives are just in line with what King wanted. That's all we wanted, and you all have gone too far. We, we want good old Martin Luther King, the conservative. This is stupid. It's absolutely stupid. But again, he's basing his conservatism on opinions from leftists in the 19th century and leftists in the 20th century. What are you trying to conserve at that particular point? Now, I do agree that, that the left has never really been about reconciliation. What they want is power, right? And to them, and I've, I've heard them say it. I mean, they've said it, openly say it now. There has to be an unequal society in order to gain equality. And that unequal is that certain people that were in power have to be removed from power 
and they have to be on the bottom rung while they're, the other people that were not in power are now on the top rung. That's how it has to work. That's equity now. Because that's essentially the goal from the beginning. It wasn't about just having a seat at the table. It was about controlling the table. That's it. That's what the whole point is. Right? So it's about power. It's what it's always been about. It's what it was about in the 1860s when the radical Republicans were pushing their agenda in Congress. They were about power. Jefferson Davis pointed this out. Look, this is about sectional aggrandizement. We can say it's about you know, the, uh, helping out slaves or black Americans, but that's not really what they want. They don't care about that. What they really want is power, and they want to make sure they control the general government for their own means. Why is the left doing this? Well, why would they be on board with this? Because they want power so they can control the general government, the centralized authority to do all the things that Joe Biden is saying they're going to do, all the stuff that Hansen's pointing out that they would do to abuse power because they can. It's about power. It's always about power. When you have a government the size of the United States government, it is attractive to the psychopaths. And the psychopaths want power. They want to control what you do. It's very attractive to the Yankees of America, and there's a lot of them. North, south, east, west, there are a lot of Yankees in America. And what Yankees want is to control what everybody else does. This is what I've said. On, I have it pinned on my Twitter page. We don't have a race problem in America. We have a Yankee problem in America. That's what we have. So, in place of integration returns the old racism now cast as anti-racism, as if good racial discrimination is needed to fight bad discrimination. But the history of racism is just such special pleading about why the latest sort of new discrimination is both needed and justified, and thus is no longer the old discrimination. Ask the former Yugoslavians or Rwandians. So now at some colleges, dorm residents can select the race of their roommates. At theme houses, some races are not even allowed in the door. Safe spaces in the 21st century are the 21st century euphemism for segregation. Special graduation ceremonies exclude students based on race. To push through the new racism, all logic is suspended. What did it matter that those of the lower classes born in 2005 grew up in the 40th year of affirmative action and had no knowledge, much less any memory, of Jim Crow segregation in the South? See, here's the problem. It's just Jim Crow segregation in the South. Victor Davis Hanson is from California. And in the 1950s, there were school districts in California being sued for violating Brown v. Board of Education. The 1950s. And Hanson's own backyard of Sacramento, in the 1940s, 50s, and into the 60s, this was not state-sponsored segregation, but there were rules for neighborhoods where minorities were not allowed to buy homes. This is part of the push of the civil rights legislation in the 1960s uh, and fair housing. That's where all that comes from. There were, there, was, there were written rules on the books that you can't sell to certain races in Victor Davis Hanson's California. And yet, supposedly this is only in the South we got to worry about. It's just Jim Crow South. Of course, Hanson also ignores that Jim Crow segregation was born in New England. So this is, a, this is something that happened across the United States, but he's got his convenient boogeyman. You see, I'm from the North. I'm from California. We don't do that stuff in California. No, we're just the good guys. New England doesn't do that kind of stuff. No, that no, nowhere did that kind of stuff. We're the good guys. See, it's just the bad boogeyman there in the South that if conservatives could just get rid of this bad boogeyman, everybody, everything would be fine. They couldn't, they couldn't call us any names. We've done, we've never done anything wrong. 
except that lefties are pointing out all this stuff now. And I think it's making a lot of these... Oh, no, 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 it's not us. That's the South. This all came from the South because, you see, what really happened there was a bunch of Southerners moved into California and they brought this stuff with them. Regardless of the fact that the state of California also had the uh, exclusionary laws in place, which would not allow Chinese people to live in the state because that was the largest minority in, Chi in, in, uh, in California, uh, Chinese immigrants. And so these exclusionary laws essentially made it to where Chinese people wouldn't live there. There was a tax involved in it. and I mean, it's, it was a mess, right? They were, they were doing this to keep certain people out of the state. But they don't do that stuff in the North. Just the South. If in the racist one-drop pass, some blacks desperate for a chance at equal opportunity sought to pass as white, so too is our, in our full-circle racist presence, some whites desperate to find either uh, psychic acceptance and otherness or more concrete racial advantages in hiring and emissions likewise seek to pass racial barriers, but now as non-white. And he gives you a name of people, you know, uh, Baldwin, Churchill, Doz Dolezal, Sean King, Elizabeth Warren, all these people, right? Now, this is true. I mean, he's pointing out something that's true here, but again, the history is the problem. And if he's going to be a historian, then he has to get this right. And he just doesn't. That's the issue. It is apparently irrelevant that uh, class is now increasingly divorced from race. Several minorities from Asian Americans to Arab Americans earn more per capita on average than the so-called white majority. Certainly the Obamas, the NBA superstars, and millions of federal employees enjoy more privilege than low-income Southern or Midwestern whites. Now he has a, now he's sympathy for the South here. Uh, because, they're, and he, as he talked about in one of the other pieces we, I, I went over in this podcast, you know, they, they've, they've now become the North. Amid such racial chauvinism, we must ignore intermarriage and millions of children of mixed lineages, given Americans are increasingly a hybrid society in which it is impossible to identify people by superficial appearances other than by a resort to DNA badges. In the face of reality slamming into ideology, our best and brightest in academia and government seek guidance in ridiculous one-drop rule from the Old South. <laughs> See? You can't get around this stuff. It's just the one-drop rule from the Old South. That's what it was. Regardless of the fact that uh, Ohio didn't let black people live in the state. Same thing with Illinois. Couldn't live there. It'd pay a fine. But that's simply, this is just the Old South. The Old South, which was a multiracial society. I mean, black people live there. So, it's just stupid. I mean, this is all just stupid what he's doing here. And it's, it, the problem with it, of course, is that Hanson, if you're if you're going to do this, and you're going to if you're going to be inconsistent in your history, and you're going to and you're going to advance leftist talking points, then what you're going to get is leftist America. Now, I want to skip down to uh, his part on nullification yesterday, today, and tomorrow, uh, because I don't want to have this podcast go for for an hour. So we're near the end of thirty minutes. I, I want to get to this one part, and then we're going to wrap it up. He says, under our federal system, states are guaranteed the right to make laws and to enjoy powers that are not contrary to the Constitution. In the lead-up to the Civil War, nullification, or the idea that a state could pick and choose which federal statutes to obey, or ignore along with the right uh, to appropriate federal property within its jurisdiction, was considered insurrectionary. To obey or ignore along with the right to appropriate. So he's saying, look, in the lead-up to the Civil War, nullification. 
States can pick and choose which federal statutes to obey or ignore, along with the right to appropriate federal property within its jurisdiction. That was considered insurrectionary, he says. Well, wait a second here. Nullification was actually a unionist position. They didn't get to pick and choose which federal statutes to obey or ignore. What they got to do, what they said was unconstitutional federal laws we're not going to obey. We will ignore those that are unconstitutional. Not the ones that are constitutional. Certainly, we're going to follow those. But you know who's using nullification the most in the lead-up to the war in the 1850s? Well, it was northern states, not the South. I mean, this is true, right? The South actually was very critical of northern states using nullification in what they thought was an illegal way because they're nullifying something in the Constitution. But, um, look, no one would have suggested that Calhoun was a secessionist. Secession and nullification are two different things. Nullification is actually an idea that keeps the union together. Not, secession is leaving the union. But here we go with Hansen. He says, states' rights were once an anathema to the left. It rightly equated them with George Wallace's 1963 address, promise of segregation yesterday, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, as a racist contravention of federal laws. So it rightly considered nullification just racist. That's all it was. You see... Is Hanson a leftist? This is what I have to ask. This is what passes for conservatism now. This. It's a joke. Nullification was used throughout American history, north and south, to oppose unconstitutional federal laws. And if we had certain, if we had a way to enforce the 10th Amendment, which is all Calhoun was saying, it's all Jefferson was saying, it's all these people were saying, if we could enforce the 10th Amendment, we wouldn't have un unconstitutional federal laws. You know, it would go away. All this stuff he's talking about. Because the states could simply say, uh, yeah, that's, that's unconstitutional. It's not going to be enforced. And therefore, you don't have any of these things. You know what happens when you do that? The central authority is weakened to a point where all it can do is defend the union and regulate trade. And that would be a free trade zone, not excessive regulation where they want to say what you can and cannot do. That's all the federal government would do. All the rest would be left to the states, which was by design, you see. That's the whole point. But of course, this is racist to say this, according to Victor Davis Hanson, because he had George Wallace, you see. Not now. The defiant left could just as easily boast in defiance of the federal government. Open borders yesterday, open borders today, open borders tomorrow. So federal nullification is also back. Some 550 state and local jurisdictions have declared federal immigration law no longer applicable fully within their domains. They forbid federal immigration authorities to pick up detained illegal alien felons upon release. Now, forbidding federal agents to do that is illegal. What they can say is we're not going to use um, we're not going to use state resources to do it. But if you want to have your agents here to pick them up, and they can't stop that, it's non-commandeering. Now the federal government wouldn't have enough agents to do it, but it's non-commandeering, and uh, there isn't. Now you could argue that maybe immigration law is illegal, right? Is federal immigration law illegal? This is something that should be left up to the states. We know that there are naturalization laws on the books as early as 1790, which, by the way, used race as a prerequisite for uh, becoming a naturalized American citizen. But I guess that was just the fault of the South. I, I don't know, uh, according to Hanson. But um, the thing is, the states would allow people into their borders all the time. But you couldn't partake in 
federal elections if you weren't a U.S. citizen, so you had to become naturalized. Uh, now, the states were something entirely different. You see, the states actually controlled all of this, and the state didn't want you in there. They would just say, you can't immigrate here. So, um, whereas, this is a big question about federal power of immigration. What is the federal power of immigration? Is there is there is this a, something that the federal government can control or just the state governments? That's a big legal question, okay? But here, Hansen is creating problems in his argument again by relying on leftist talking points to blast nullification, which is actually a very good thing to maintain limited central power. That was the whole point. As John C. Calhoun said, "I'm a conservative because I'm a conservative. I'm a states' rights man." You want to be a conservative in America, you have to believe in the Federal Republic and you have to believe in decentralization. It's the only way to preserve the United States without having one-size-fits-all oppressive power from the left or the right. Right? I don't want people on the left abused by a right-wing government. I don't think that's fair either. I don't want, because when they get in power, you know what they're going to do, do the exact same thing. I don't want the government to have that kind of power over people. Nobody should have that kind of power. That's the point. And this is what Calhoun and others were pointing out. Well, if we have some type of check on this power through nullification, things will be a lot better. All right. So, had to get our good friend V.D. Hansen in this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next week. Now, if you want to get this five, want to get me five times a week on a podcast free of charge, I've also got the Abbeville Institute podcast. Just go to abbevilleinstitute.org. I do that once a week. So, cover all things Southern over there. But um, anyways... I'll see you next week on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.